It's good to be here with you this morning. We're going to uh, just jump right into John chapter 2, starting in verse 13. Um, last week, uh, well, um, let's just jump into it. <laughs> starting in verse 13. The Jewish Passover was near, so Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and in the temple complex he found people selling oxen, sheep, and doves, and he also found the money changers sitting there. Money changers are like uh, currency exchangers, so like changing Canadian money from, oh sorry, hello, exchanging Canadian money to like American dollars, that kind of thing, so there's money changers in the temple. Uh, so after making a whip out of cords, he drove everyone out of the temple complex with their sheep and oxen, and he also poured out the money changers' coins and overturned the tables. He told those who were selling doves, get these things out of here, stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. And his disciple remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews replied to him, what sign of authority will you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered, destroy this sanctuary and I will raise it up in three days. Therefore, the Jews said, this sanctuary took 46 years to build and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking about the sanctuary of his body. So when he was raised up from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. And they believed in the scriptures, the statement that Jesus had made. While he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many trusted in his name and they saw the signs that he was doing. Jesus, however, would not entrust himself to them since he knew them all. And because he did not need anyone to testify about man, for he himself knew what was in man. That's a really sad way to end that, don't you think? He didn't want to reveal himself because he knew what was in man. So this is kind of a famous text, right? This is, we like this one. This is the Jesus got angry text, right? This is the, the one where we get to go, you know, Jesus ain't no wimp, man. Jesus has beat some people with some whips, right? We like to use this one, right? We like, we, I've seen this used a lot of different ways. I, I, I use this one to justify my road rage. Jesus got angry, right? <laughs> right? We use it to justify having a bad temper. It's all right. I'm, I'm just, I'm mad because I can explain why I'm yelling at those people on the road. I mean, if you're going to, if you're going to stop in the far right hand lane at a stoplight, you better be turning right. Am I right? Oh, thank you. All right. Righteous anger. Um, we use this to justify. It's okay to be a Christian and get, get upset a little bit, right? Um, I've seen, on the other side of that, I've seen pastors use this text to, uh, Basically, rip on anybody that's selling anything in the church. Girl Scout cookies, get out of here, Satan. Right? You know what I'm talking about? Like, I mean, they are kind of, anyways. Um, I'm not even going to go there. Um, but, like, no, seriously, I saw one time, we, I was a youth pastor at this church, and we had just finished building this um, new youth facility. And one thing that we did in the youth facility was we put in a coffee shop. And the reason why we put the coffee shop in there was because we have a lot of kids in that youth group that kind of came from low-income families, um, didn't have a lot of money. And so when they would come to the youth on Wednesday nights, we would give them like a drink, you know, make a, make a hamburger for them and chips or whatever for like a buck. I mean, like cost, right? So we were doing this to serve them, to love them, to try to help them out. This pastor came to the church and was preaching, and he didn't know about the coffee shop. And he's just like, let me tell you what's wrong with the church today. And he pulls us out, and he's like, churches that have coffee shops, it's the devil. They're, they're pimping the word of God, you know? And I'm like, oh, man, I hope he doesn't go to the youth building, right? Like, this going really bad. Like, he's going to tell me I'm going to hell, and I'm the youth pastor, man. Like, that's not good. So we've seen the reason I bring all of that up 
is to say that we've seen this scripture text used in all different kinds of ways, right? Like we've seen people justify getting angry. We've seen uh, pastors get really tight about, you're not even supposed to bring money in the church unless it's going in the offering box, right, kind of thing. And so what I kind of wanted to do as we're walking through the book of John, we kind of landed here. And the good thing about going through the Bible the way that we do it is it makes you just talk about some stuff that I probably wouldn't have talked about normally. Like, I'm not just going to pull this one out on my own, right? Like, let's talk about money changers in the temple, you know? No, but but the way that we're doing it, we, we're going to talk about it. So I kind of like that. So what, what I want to do is kind of walk through the text, kind of look at it together, and try to understand what is it exactly that happened that made Jesus so upset? I mean, because if you think about it, this kind of goes against, like, the natural flow, easygoing kind of Jesus that we talk about a lot, don't you think? I mean, this is not like the golden hair, you know, waving in the wind, sweet, gentle, turn the other cheek Jesus that we're used to, right? I mean, like, if you caught that, the, it said that he made a whip. Like, that's serious. Like, I don't even know how to make a whip. He walked in there, got so mad, he's like, I need a weapon. Let's see. What can I use here? I'm just going to put these cords, right? He made a whip. Anyways, I'm going to jump in there because y'all don't care about that. All right. Let's, so let's just break this down a little bit together. I'm going to read, read from 13. The Jewish Passover was near, so Jesus went to Jerusalem in the temple complex. He found people selling oxen, sheep, and doves. So inside the temple, there's people selling these animals. And also he found the money changers sitting there, which you think is a big deal, but they were there for a purpose because there was only certain types of money that they were allowed to use in the temple. And so they were exchanging the currency to the kind of currency that was allowed to be used in the temple. So they actually had a purpose. So Jesus sees them. After making a whip out of cords, making a whip out of cords, he drove everyone out of the temple complex with their sheep and oxen. He also poured out the money changers' coins and overturned the tables. He told those who were selling doves, get out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. And his disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. This does not seem like the Jesus that we talk about, right? So what's going on? So in order to understand this, we got to kind of look at the whole picture. Right, Because a lot of times when you look at the Bible, we just focus on one thing and we miss the, the whole picture. So part of this, what's going on, says, uh, first of all, if you notice, it says that Jesus is there for Passover. So what Passover was, like we talked about a few weeks ago, um, Passover was is one of the three festivals um, or celebrations that the Jewish people would have every year. So during Passover, you have thousands of people, all these men and women uh, coming to Jerusalem, kind of making a pilgrimage from their home to Jerusalem for this festival. And this festival was a celebration of the Old Testament story whenever, uh, if you guys remember the story of, uh, what am I, I can't remember, Egypt, thank you, I was about to say Noah, that is not right, the story of, of Moses in Egypt, whenever God told him, I'm going to send um, the angel of death, and if you need want me to protect you from the angel of death, put blood over the tops of your doorways, and if you have the, the blood of the lamb over the tops of your doorways, the angel of death will pass over your house, and no one inside your house will be harmed. And so what this, you're like, that's a strange thing to celebrate, right? What this was is a celebration of God's faithfulness that he did that that he protected them during that time. And so once a year, they would get together and celebrate God's goodness and faithfulness as well as they would repent of their sins. And so here we have Passover, Jesus showing up, coming uh, with all these other people to Passover, and he shows up at the temple. He goes 
to this temple, which we think, when you think of the temple, you think of a church, right? Does that make sense? It's a natural connection. But this wasn't just like a regular church. Like we have, you know, thousands of churches all around the United States, right? And all over the world. This was like their church. What I mean, like this was the main one. This was like the center of Jewish worship. This was like the center of their culture, the central of like, like all of just kind of the whole Jewish like family, culture, people. This is the place that God's presence dwelt. This was the place where they would come to make sacrifices for their sins. This was the center for Jewish government, center for Jewish law, religious life, even like taxation. This was the cultural hub for the Jewish people. So it was kind of a big deal. It was kind of important. This was like one of their, the sacred places, probably the most sacred place that the Jewish people had in their time, right? And so this is an, a big deal. So Jesus shows up to this religious, this cultural hub for the Jewish people. He shows up to the temple during this Passover season, and he does some stuff. <laughs> he doesn't like what he sees. So what does the Bible tell us he does? Jesus walks in there. He makes a weapon, which, again, incredible. Like, what, like, and the reason he had to make ones, you weren't allowed to have weapons in there. So he just starts putting some cords together, whipping some people. He drives everyone out with their animals, probably with the whip. I mean, how do you drive people with the whip, right? Driving people with the whip. He poured out the money changers' coins, which I was thinking about this this week, and I was like, that just seems a little harsh, Jesus. Like, I'm not judging him, but I mean, you've got there's money changers, and they've got like all these different kinds of currency because they've got to keep it all together, probably in stacks, and he just turns it all over. And now they got to like, Jesus, I just put that together, man. I just put that together. I just separated those. He turns over the tables. He yells at people, stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. This seems so opposite of gentle Jesus. Like, what's his problem? What's going on? He shows up for Passover. There's people here celebrating Passover. They're at the temple. Like, this should be great. And yet we see Jesus get so upset. So there's a few things going on. One of the things, which I don't know, I don't, it doesn't mention in the text, but it's kind of interesting. <laughs> something that we're thinking about instituting here at the River Church. Um, they would have any man or male over 20 to enter in the temple had to pay money to get in. Seems like a solid idea. I don't see what the problem is. <laughs> some of you guys are like, I'm never coming back here. Some of you guys are like, yeah, that's a good idea. We can make some money for the church. Just kidding. But actually, so that's like, you would think that would be the thing he'd be upset about, but he's not really upset with that. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that Jesus pays that tax to go in the temple. Doesn't seem upset with it. I mean, that would have been the thing. I'd have been like, y'all taxing me to go to church, man? Right? So what's the problem? So during... Passover, got to go back again. Like I said, you have all these people coming to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration. You have tons and tons of the Jewish people coming there. And what they would do during this time is that they would make an animal sacrifice for their sins for the year. And so it's kind of a, a sacred time where they would come into the temple, they'd make this sacrifice, and it was their way before Jesus died on the cross, it was their way of repenting for their sins, of asking for forgiveness for their sins, and basically saying, like, God, we're sorry for what we did. Don't kill us, right? And so you have all these people making this pilgrimage to Jerusalem for this, and they were bringing, either they had to bring an animal with them to get sacrificed, or they would purchase an animal once they were in Jerusalem to get sacrificed. And so what you have going on is people traveling all this distance with these animals, and you couldn't just sacrifice any animal. 
It had to be perfect. It had to be go along with the ceremonial law. And so much so that when you brought this animal with you into the temple, it had to get inspected and improved. That's pretty serious, don't you think? And so what would happen, what was starting to happen is people were traveling all this distance and maybe they'd bring an animal with them. Maybe it was too far. So they said, man, we're, we're just going to buy one when we get there. Or maybe their animal passed, a, like died on the way. I mean, it's a long journey. Animals die, right? And so maybe they, maybe they lost their animal on the way. But what would happen is they would get there. You'd have this perfect little Mary had a lamb. You know, she comes in here with her lamb. And <laughs> some of y'all got that. All right. So she brings in the, brings in the lamb. And the priest looks at it and he goes, even though this animal is perfect, well, that one's not good enough. I mean, I saw a little bit of a limp. I, thought, I think we're not going to be able to use that one. But it's your lucky day. Why is it your lucky day? Because I just happen to have this perfectly good lamb right over here for sale. Give it to you. Good price. Good, good price. And so you have these people traveling all this distance and you have the priest and the people in the temple using the sacrificial system using Passover to make a buck. Now you would think like that, that's, yeah, that, that makes sense. Like they're basically using repentance to make some money. But the thing is, is that's like Jesus has a problem with what's going on, but his problem isn't even with them selling the animals for the sacrifices. Because here's the thing, like, this makes sense. If I'm going to sacrifice something to the Lord, it better cost me something, right? Otherwise, it's not a sacrifice. Like, I can, I'm not just going to travel all the way from my hometown, come to Jerusalem, not bring an animal with me, and then show up and be like, uh, let me get that, let me get that our sheep you got there. And like, all right, it's yours. If I don't pay anything for that, I'm just having a barbecue. I'm not, make, I'm not sacrificing. If, if you're sacrificing something to God and it doesn't cost you anything, it's not a sacrifice right? And so Jesus, I don't think his main issue was even with them having to pay money for the animals. His main issue was on the other side of it. His main issue was that he was attacking the financial machinery of this festival season. Not that they were making money off of it, but it was the heart behind how they were doing it. They were using the season not for what it was meant for, because what Passover season was meant for was a time to worship God for what he has done for you. It was a time to repent of your sins. Instead, they saw it as an easy way to make a buck off of God's people. The heart behind it was let's use this to make some money. Passover was supposed to be a time of repentance. The temple was the center of worship. Instead, it became a way to make an easy buck. Jesus wasn't upset with the fact that they were selling. He was upset with why they were selling these things. He was upset with how they were selling these things. It was all about distorting the purpose of the Passover season and distorting the purpose of the temple. I had a conversation with Tyson this week, actually. Uh, we were talking about uh, this, this particular verse. And he said, let me ask you about this. Oh, sorry, Tyson, I'm bust you out. He said, what do you think about churches that have daycares? And, we're in, and so my, I was like, well, what do you mean? He said, well, if they're just using it to make money. He said, well, here's what I think about it. Everything, well, not everything, but a lot of things with God have to do with sometimes not even what you're doing, but the heart behind what you're doing. And so I said, if, you're, if your church sets up a daycare, which we, I don't think we could do one here, but it, 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 it'd be fun, best daycare ever. Um, 
But if they set up the daycare and they say, all right, we have families in our community that we want to serve, we want to love, we want to give uh, moms and dads a low-cost, high-quality daycare that we can serve our community and maybe reach people who would never walk in the doors of our church with this daycare, we want to love on people, then yeah, man, Jesus is like, bless that, do that, let's, you know, all for that. But if the other side of that is us going, well, you know, we really want to make a lot of money for the church. We could have really expensive daycare. We can make it the best daycare, but charge a whole lot. So that's kind of a prestigious thing to be like, our kids in this church because they have the best daycare and it costs so much and we're better. You see where I'm going with that? I think Jesus would have a problem with that. It's all, it's not so much about the daycare. It's about the heart behind why you're doing it, what you're doing it for, the mission behind it. And so Jesus was upset because they were distorting the purpose of the Passover season. And I'm not, I'm not going on a rant, I promise, but it kind of reminds me of what we've done with Christmas. Oh, y'all didn't like that one. Like, I have friends on Facebook that I know, like I, I've gotten, been friends with them for a long time, that they're like staunch atheists. Like, you bring up Jesus, they start cussing. Yet they're the first ones to bust out the Christmas tree, bust out the Christmas gifts, bust out the Christmas lights. And like, there's just something a little twisted about that. It's like the center of Christian worship, the birth of Jesus. And you got people that hate Jesus that love it more than us. No, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going on a rant, I promise. But we got to be careful with that, the materialism of it, right? The purpose of the temple had been distorted. And I'll even say this, selling the animals was a good idea. You're helping people, but it's about the heart behind it. Verse 18. So the Jews replied to him, what sign of authority will you show for us doing these things? And Jesus answered, destroy this sanctuary and I will raise it up in three days. Therefore, the Jews said, this sanctuary took 46 years to build and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking of the sanctuary of his body. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scriptures and the statement Jesus had made. So if you notice, there's two different responses right here, and I love both of them. They're both very interesting, and they're both very revealing, I think. The first response was from the Jewish people. So Jesus walks in, he starts throwing tables around, he starts whipping people, and the Jews, they don't get mad. They don't get mad. Like, they're not upset about it. They're not defending themselves. They're not, like, trying to kick Jesus out, which they, you would think that they would. The temple was the center of Jewish worship. It was the center of Jewish culture. I mean, like, what Jesus did was extremely disrespectful, <laughs> right? Like, if somebody walked in here and just started pushing stuff over, like, walked in with, like, coffee, coffee's a sin in church, Poof, knocked over the coffee mugs, I would be upset about that, right? So Jesus... Jesus was being very disrespectful, you would think. I mean, this was a center of national pride, but they don't get mad. Instead, what they do, the question is very revealing. Instead, what they do is ask him what authority he has to say what he just said and to do what he just did. I don't know if y'all caught what they just did, but it's essentially the same thing as when you're doing something wrong and someone walks up to you and calls you out on it and you go, only God can judge me. How dare you say that? Let me break it down even more. They knew what they were doing was wrong. And what they just tried to do was change the subject. Right? They don't defend themselves. They don't say, well, we're just trying to sell the animals. They'd say, well, what right do you have to tell me that? Like when somebody, you tell somebody that they're doing something wrong, they say, you're not my mama. Well, it doesn't change the fact that what you're doing is wrong. It's just a response to accountability. We don't like to be held accountable. And so we respond to it in that way. And I would say this as a side note, 
pay attention to how you respond to accountability because it reveals a lot about your heart. It reveals a lot about your relationship with God. I mean, think about, we just got done studying David in our men's group. Think about David, the time he messed up the biggest with Bathsheba. I mean, had an affair, got her husband murdered. He's the king, so he can do it every once, I guess. But he has a prophet come up to him and tell him, basically say, what you did was wrong. You deserve to die. And David is every right as the king at that time to just go, prophet, dead. Kill this fool. You don't talk to me like that. What does David do? He falls on his knees before the Lord and begs for repentance. How we respond to accountability says a lot about us, right? So we have these Jewish people, and the way they respond is not to go, Jesus, you're right. Or even say, Jesus, let's argue this because we think we're doing the right. What they just do is, Jesus, let's change the subject. (laughs) How, How come you can say this? So that's one response, change the subject or or try to question Jesus' credentials. (laughs) And then I love Jesus' response because this is, I feel like he treats me this way. And sometimes you read the Bible and you feel like maybe you relate. You're like, man, he does that same thing to me. So the people ask, what authority do you have? And instead of listing his credentials, instead of even dropping the God card and being like, I'm God, I can do whatever I want, or even say, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. Jesus just says, I'm going to tear this thing down. I'm just going to burn this thing down, right? (laughs) I'm going to tear it down, and then I'm going to build it back up in three days. (laughs) And of course, the Jewish people are are like, what is this guy talking about, man? Like, this guy's nuts. Because the temple, they even point to it. They had just finished building that temple. It took them 46 years to build. Like, we're still complaining because I-35 has been going on for like five years, right? Like, this had taken 46 years to build the temple. They had, catch this, 18,000 men working on this thing and over a thousand priests that they had trained to be architects, stone, uh, and masonry because they had to have priests could only work on certain parts of it for the, to keep it ceremonially pure. 18,000 people, 1,000 priests, 46 years. And Jesus is like, I'm just going to build this thing back up in three days and tear it down. That's a lot of work, right? For three days. So the Jews are astonished. <laughs> He doesn't flash his credentials. He doesn't listen. He just said, I'm going to tear this thing down. So what's he talking about? Well, you guys know because he told us, right? The cross. Jesus says, basically, he said, you're doing this wrong. You're doing this wrong. You're doing this wrong. Well, what right do you have to say? And Jesus' response is, it doesn't matter because I've come to replace the whole thing anyways. I've come to change the game anyways. The temple, and here's here's how. Here's what he says, I'm going to replace the temple. Here's how. The temple was the place where they came to sacrifice for their sins, right? We've been talking about that. Well, Jesus is the final sacrifice. The Bible says that Jesus, or that God sent Jesus to be the lamb that was slain for all of our sins. And so what they're doing is sacrificing each year to basically kind of keep appeasing God and to keep him, say basically, we're sorry, God, we're sorry, we're sorry. But it doesn't really change anything. They're still lost in their sin without God. They're still dying without God. And here Jesus comes along and he says, I'm going to be the final sacrifice. I'm going to replace this whole thing. And not only am I going to be the final sacrifice, but I'm the game changer because now you can truly be forgiven for your sins. You can truly find hope. You can truly find life. You can truly find me. And after Jesus comes, the final sacrifice, he makes that whole rest of the thing irrelevant. Because what's the point of making sacrifices when Jesus has already come and been the final sacrifice? So that part of the temple was now irrelevant. They didn't, well, they didn't need it anymore. He's rendering it obsolete. 
The second thing that the temple was used for was a place to experience God. The temple was the place that God's spirit would dwell. So much so, it was so important that um, God's presence couldn't be around sin. So there's only certain people that could even, like God's presence only dwelt in this certain place in the temple, and you had certain priests that could go in there and be in it. So like, like not even anybody could go in there. So you have Jesus coming and replacing the sacrificial system, but now the temple was also this place where God's spirit would dwell. But once Jesus died on the cross, now all of us can experience God's presence. Now all of us can experience God's spirit. Like in this place, when we worship this morning, you can experience the presence of God. When you go home on your way to lunch, you can experience the presence of God. When you pray at your house, you can experience the presence of God. When I'm in my car about to yell at somebody because they cut me off, I can experience the presence of God in like a different way, rebuking. That's still the presence of God, correction. You can experience the presence of God. And so now the temple was the only place that they could really go to experience the presence of God. But now because of Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross, we can all experience the presence of God. Yeah, that's pretty awesome, man. That's exciting, right? So now the temple's obsolete. We don't need a place to sacrifice any lambs anymore because if you're doing that, now you're just murdering animals. <laughs> like now it's like you're twisted, serial killer on the way, right? Jesus was the final sacrifice for our sins. Now we can all experience God. Jesus says, I'm going to die on the cross. I'm going to rise from the dead. I'm going to defeat sin, death, the grave. The temple is going to become useless because now I am the temple. So Jesus said, y'all messing this whole thing up, but I'm just going to blow it up and make it better anyways. That's awesome, right? So what do we do with that? Like that's a bunch of really cool stuff, but what do we do with this? As I was studying this week, like just as a, as a, as a pastor, this text was extremely challenging for me. Like this was one of those that... I love doing it this way where we go through books of the Bible, but I hate it too because it makes me talk about stuff that I normally wouldn't have talked about. And sometimes that stuff punches me in the teeth, right? Like you ever read the Bible and you're just like, oh, that hurt, right? Yeah, that kind of was this week for me. Because what's, what's going on here, when I say, what do we take this, where do we go from this? The, the purpose of the temple was to be an avenue for people to be close to God through the sacrificial system, through God's presence dwelling in the temple. The purpose of the temple was that it was a place where people could be close to God. The leaders of the temple lost sight of that in order to make a buck. That's what Jesus' issue was. So as leaders of the, or as a leader of the river church, that terrifies me. Like I know it's the river church. We're not the same thing as the, as the temple is kind of, even though we kind of associate on both as church, they're kind of different things. But first and foremost, like that scares me because as I guess kind of the main leader guy, right? I don't ever want to lose God's purpose for our church. I don't want to get focused on something else for like God has a plan for the river church. God has specific things that he wants the river church to be. And I don't want to be the dude that derails that. And that scares me a little bit right? We are, first and foremost, our purpose is to be an avenue for people to meet with Jesus and grow closer in their relationship with him. First and foremost, that's what we always need to be. Secondly, we need to be a place of hope for the world. Thirdly, 
We need to be a place that cares for people in need. What does the Bible say? True religion is those who cares for the widows and orphans. Our job is to care for people who don't have anyone else to care for them. So I don't want to lose our purpose. I don't ever want to get it twisted and start chasing other things because I've seen it, man. I've seen pastors do it. I've seen leaders do it. I've seen the gospel and churches become about making money and building big buildings. I've seen uh, it become about um, chasing political influence. I've seen it become about all these things that it's not supposed to be, right? And I don't ever want to be that dude. And I don't ever want our leadership to go that direction. But that's what kind of kicked me in the teeth this week because I know that I could have a propensity to chase that, right? Influence is really cool to have. Being important is pretty fun, right? Right? No, you're like, oh, it's not, not fun. I don't want to be important. I don't ever want to lose that for our church. I want us to stay focused on what Jesus wants us to stay focused on, being a hope for the world, being a light for the world, being a place where you and I can come here every week and grow closer in our relationship to God and to be a church that never loses sight of caring for people who are less fortunate, people who are lost and in need. That's who we want to be, man. But secondly, there's not just a warning for the church in there. There's a warning for the Christian too. This is where you're like, oh, great. This gets uncomfortable. In a way, Jesus is the new temple because his sacrifice uh, means that now you can have repentance of your sin and now that you can experience him. So now your relationship with him is kind of like that temple. What scares me sometimes and, and what I think that this is a warning for is us using our relationship with Jesus or misusing our relationship with Jesus or distorting our relationship with Jesus for things that it's not supposed to be about. So I think I've told you all this before, but I had a friend one time about a, a year or two ago. He told me, he said, yeah, I need to get back in church. I want to go to church again because last time my life was going good, I was going to church. So I think I'll go to church. Right. Well, that's not what Jesus is about, right? I, I Like sometimes we chase Jesus because we think it'll help us get more money or think it'll help us get more influence, right? Like those are really bad reasons to follow Jesus. But then there's other reasons. Like those are the obvious ones where you're like, well, yeah, of course, I would never do that. But then there's the stuff like want a better life or maybe tragedy drove you to the feet of Jesus. Or maybe, hey, I want to get, my, get a better marriage or maybe I want to be a better parent to my kids or maybe I just need some people to be around, right? I want to go to the church. Some of those are like really great reasons to come to the feet of Jesus, don't you think? Some of those are really good reasons to chase Jesus. But those aren't reasons to sustain your relationship with Jesus. And those aren't even supposed to be the center of our relationship with Jesus. Does that make sense? Because otherwise, we're just distorting it. Some of those are kind of misuses of our relationship with him because our relationship with Jesus is supposed to be about our relationship with him, growing closer to him, knowing him, not using him to fix whatever I want to fix in my life. Or to just, you, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I, I, I think about the analogy of marriage. Like marriage is great, and there's a lot of cool benefits that come with being married. Like just some practical ones, it's nice not being alone, right? It's nice to have someone to experience life with. It's nice to have someone else to do the dishes, besides me, all the time, just kidding. All right, some of you are like, ooh, sexist. I'm just kidding. I'm not saying women have to do dishes. I'm just saying I don't like doing them all the time. There's a lot of great benefits that come along with being married some of those 
how can I say this? Sometimes people get in marriage for the wrong reasons. And you know it when it happens. Let me give you an example. 85-year-old man walking with 25-year-old woman. You're going, he's in that for the wrong reasons. Or 25-year-old woman marrying a rich 85-year-old man. She don't love him. What's she in it for? That inheritance, baby. Those aren't good reasons to be in marriage, right? Those aren't good reasons for that. The point I guess I'm trying to make is that as we remember the, the temple story, to check ourselves. As a church, to be able to step back and check ourselves and make sure that we're chasing what God calls us to chase. That we're not distorting the purpose of who we are as a church. Secondly, I think the application for us in our individual relationships with Jesus is to make sure that they're not centered around something other than Jesus. I'm not following Jesus so that he'll fix my relationship with my kids. I'm following Jesus because I love Jesus and want to get closer to him. And as I become more of a man or woman of God, that's going to teach me and help me to grow closer to my kids. But the main reason for my relationship with Jesus isn't about my kids. You see what I'm saying? It's about you and Jesus. I think that oftentimes, like we started out, Jesus, it's not so much about what we do, but it's about the motivation, the heart behind what we do. And so I think that that's an important challenge. It's a hard challenge sometimes, right? But I think it's a good challenge for us today. And so I'm going to pray for us, and we're just going to close in this. I want to worship Jesus today for this reason. I want to encourage you to do this because of what he just did in this passage. The fact that he shows up and he says, I'm going to burn this whole thing down, and I'm going to replace it with a place of hope, life, true forgiveness. And now the fact that we can worship him in here today and truly experience him. Let's pray. Father, I love you. Thank you so much for today. Thank you so much for what you did on the cross. Lord, thank you for showing up in that temple and just wrecking it and showing us that the temple is not about us. The temple is not about distorting it for any other purpose other than you, Lord. We want to worship you. We want to be about you. We want the River Church to be about you, about following you, loving you, knowing you, showing other people to you. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would challenge us in that way, Jesus. Father, I love you, and I just ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.